Lord, um, we need uh, special glasses to see what it is that you are doing in this uh, Meshuggi world, to see what it is you're doing in our life. And we pray, Lord God, for soft hearts to be able to not only discern, but to embrace uh, the truth of who you are and what you're doing in our life, and uh, the courage, Lord God, to persevere and press forward, uh, to run the race that's been set before us, looking unto you. And Lord, we ask for that in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. So tonight um, is the second last uh, study on what it means to grow together as a congregational mishpacha, as a congregational family. Uh, next week will be the last one, at least for, for now. And then the week after that, we're going to have a show put on by our one and true uh, photographer, musician, all-around nice guy. Um, uh, pictures from the mountains uh, of this area. And uh, so I want to let you know. And then soon after that, we'll be coming into the week of prayer um, and, and preparing for the holidays. So just to give you a bit of a uh, uh, forward glimpse. So, um, you know, I, I have been a believer. I've accepted Yeshua uh, long ago. Uh, let's see, to be exact, about 50-some years. And I would say for most of that time, the notion that it is God's will for us to be growing was something that was very strange. Uh, perhaps I knew it intellectually, but I would wager that for most of us, the notion that the kingdom of God has to grow and has to expand is not something that we're used to thinking about. Um, we are familiar with the world and, and spiritual warfare and this, that, and the other, and challenges, um, but part of the issue for us, and this is where we uh, spend several weeks talking about spiritual warfare, if you remember, that the, uh, the major issue in spiritual warfare is not, not that we're involved in, in the battle, but the biggest issue is the fact that God reigns, that He is the King. And that the challenge for us is not so much knowing exactly about what is involved in spiritual warfare and etc., etc., but tuning in to one basic fact, and that is that God is king, that he has a plan, that he has the power to bring his plan into, into existence, and that our job is simply to learn to listen and tune in to what it is that God has in mind and connect with it and get involved with it. And a major part of, of God's plan 
is for believers as individuals and corporately as a mishpacha, as a family, uh, or families to be growing. Why? Because think of it. Uh, if something is alive, it grows. If it's not alive, it doesn't grow. It withers. And so the fact that we have the presence of the Spirit of God in us, working in us, means that if or as we connect with God's plan and purpose, what will happen is not that we become so unbelievably strong and we're cute and clever, but because what will take place is that the Spirit of God will produce the needed growth in our life. Amen? Amen. Not sure. <laughs> you are sure. Good. Uh, so, this principle of kingdom growth is non-negotiable. In other words, this is something that uh, there's no ends, ifs, or buts about it. And I realize that for all of us, you live long enough, you go through dry periods. You know, t periods of time where perhaps you struggle because of sin, stupidity, Satan, the world. Uh, you go through dry periods and you lose sight of the fact that it is God's will for you to grow. And so the Lord has to bring us back to the point where we understand and are committed to this basic principle that the kingdom of God has to grow and expand. As Yeshua put it in, in Matthew uh, chapter 11, that the kingdom of God advances forcefully and, and forceful men lay hold of it. In other words, that uh, a part of what God does in our life requires our willingness to have holy chutzpah, meaning our are willing to say, God, you have something that is good for me, and I want it. Now, part of the picture is, I'm sure you've heard speakers, preachers on the radio and so on, uh, give this kind of a spiel, and you tend to run a million miles the other way, which is unfortunate, because the Word of God does teach prosperity. We have to prosper enough to be able to be equipped to have what we need to do, what it is that God wants us to do. Prosperity is not about me getting a condo in Vail. Prosperity is about me getting the equipment that I need to be, to be able to do what it is that God has in mind. It all comes back to this basic principle that God is king, that he has a plan, that he has a power, and we want to engage with it. We looked at the fact that a major aspect of that is unity. That there are some things that God will give us just between He and us. That it comes down in a vertical pipeline. Uh, things that we hear from God as we listen, and of course we have to listen. Sometimes we don't listen, which is why God speaks in dreams and visions, because we are incapable of talking back to God. But the picture simply is that uh, it is His will 
not only to give us through the pipeline individually, but there's much, much that God will only give us if we're deeply connected and engaged with a body of believers. Uh, and unfortunately, that is a reality that I see over and over and over and over and over again for fellow believers who have gotten beat up and ground up and chewed up in all kinds of places and their attitude is no one is going to hurt me again I'm going to see to it that I protect myself which also means that they protect themselves from God's blessing unity does not mean homogeneity that God doesn't take and put us in a blender and we all look the same it's unity and diversity and we looked at a couple of passages that talked about that um, in, in Ephesians 4 that we started with Ephesians 4 how we talked about um, we being part of a, of a body where each person receives what it is that they need and contribute from what God gives them and that together we grow into maturity in the Lord and maturity is a basic goal for us and remember the definition of maturity involved a couple of factors maturity was <laughs> nobody knows maturity being able to speak the truth in love and being able to discern to filter stuff to filter the truth from the baloney okay um, unity and diversity you know God has made us different he's given us different gifts all the gifts are essential in a proper functioning of a body and what we want to look at tonight um, is the fact that unity is something that we have to pursue in other words we have to make the choice of saying, I want to be part of a body of believers, not superficially, as in, hi, bye, how you doing, um, but to be deeply connected with fellow believers in a mishpacha, in a family. Because that means being vulnerable, that means being willing to be open and transparent, and we don't like that. We assume that we have to protect ourselves and not let anybody know what is really going on with us which is very unfortunate because sometimes you know how it is you talk to people and you say okay I heard what they were saying but two or three layers behind that is what they really have in mind not a very comfortable feeling the Word of God says to us to walk in the light is we're in the light in other words transparency is a non-negotiable okay um, people out there in the world may play power games and so on and so forth for us we're open not foolish but open and transparent because that's what the Word of God calls us to do so tonight we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and let's uh, read it in a couple of chunks Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 23. And then uh, we'll look at the 
next few verses after that. So, let's see. Do I have a volunteer, Aaron? Okay, here we go. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, and Rabbi David, would you read verses 24 and 25? And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, the work um, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we willfully persist in sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, thank you. So there are two sections, um, and, and I want to take time to look at both of them. First of all, 10, 19 to 23, and then 10... 24 to 25. Now, you might look at 1019 to 23 and say, what on earth does this have to do with unity and fellowship and being part of a mishpacha? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, this first chunk has to do with security. Security in our relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> and that is so huge because without security in our relationship with the Lord, we have no security in our relationship with one another. Right? Because if we are insecure <clears throat> in our relationship with the Lord, then... <clears throat> we may feel like we have to prove something to God and consequently then we feel like we have to prove something to everybody else. And if you have gone that route, trust me, it is worse than useless. It is counterproductive. It is negative. Because the more you, the harder you try, the behinder you get uh, because the only way that you can truly know and understand your security in the Lord is simply by receiving it and loving it and allowing that truth and that reality to saute your mind. Um, the writer of Hebrews, as you may know, uh, spends a lot of time showing these early Messianic Jews um, who Yeshua is. And, and you say, well, that's kind of odd because these folks have been believers for a long time. As you read the rest of Hebrews, you know, they've been believers a long time. They suffered for the Lord a great deal. Um, 
So you think that they were, that they didn't need to be given those kinds of lessons. But the truth is simply, regardless of how long a person has known the Lord, we all come to a place where sometimes we feel insecure in our relationship with God. You do stupid things, which we all do from time to time, and you wonder whether Abba loves you. So, um, from a first century Jewish perspective, if you talk to them, you would not talk to them about the Broncos, but you talk to them about things having to do with the temple or the tabernacle. And there's some debate whether he's talking about the tabernacle or the temple, but we won't get into that. Um, but he's using, he's using terms that come most likely from Yom Kippur, from the Day of Atonement, as it was practiced uh, in the temple or, or in a tabernacle. And also he uses something that was called the ashes of the red heifer. Now some of this is real odd kind of stuff, and we can spend weeks talking about it, which we will not. But I wanted to give you kind of a Reader's Digest version um, of what's going on here, in case you're not familiar. First of all, um, this is talking, this, the, uh, this chunk comes <clears throat> from uh, Leviticus chapter 16, which is the, the description of what uh, the Day of Atonement was like. Uh, if you have not... If you're not familiar with it, let me encourage you to read it, um, and we can come back and talk about it some more. But basically, the way this operated, um, the tabernacle was basically like a rectangle, where you had the courtyard, then you had the holy place, and then you had the holy of holies, and... If you recall what, what happened, um, what, what we see in uh, Leviticus chapter 10 is that uh, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, he had more than that, but his sons decided to, to come into the Holy of Holies and they did so disrespectfully. We don't exactly know what happened. But, uh, or, or specifically what they did, excuse me a second, all we know is that fire came out from God's presence and nuked him. And so in Leviticus 16, the Lord says to them, look, I don't want to do that again, because I want you to get to know me and I want to show you the way that you need to follow in order to come. Um, as you went from the courtyard to the holy place, to the holy of holies, things became more and more sacred. In other words, you were coming closer and closer to the visible presence of God, which, as you know, um, hovered between the two cherubim, the, the two angels. Somehow, uh, the presence of God was between the two angels in the Holy of Holies. It was called also the, um, the mercy seat, or the lid of atonement, uh, kaporet. And um, 
So on the Day of Atonement, the Lord said to, uh, to the high priest, I want you to be especially prepared on that day to come and minister in the Holy of Holies. I want you to put on clean clothes. I want you to wash your body. I want you to uh, take blood of, uh, of, of a bull and a goat. Uh, but before you even do that, I want you to take a censer. You all know what a censer is? Something that you, you put ashes on, or coals rather, and sprinkle incense. And as you can imagine, because the incense will form a cloud, and with that censer, you come behind the curtain which separated the holy place for, from the Holy of Holies so that the cloud of incense will obscure my glory, the spectacular vision of who I am from you so that you don't die. This is kind of hard for us to get our arms around because we don't live in that kind of a uh, situation in, in the relationship with God. Um, however, it's good for us to understand this kind of a scenario because a lot of times we come bopping to the Lord, come before His presence and say, Yo, God, what's happening? Um, and are, are totally irreverent. And we forget the fact that, that the Lord operates on two levels. A, He loves us and, and He wants to know us. But secondly, He is also very, very holy, and we cannot disrespect Him. So it's important for us to understand this. So coming back here to Hebrews, uh, the writer says to them, look, remember that back here, only one person can come into the Holy of Holies that was only once a year. But we are now in a different system because of the blood of Yeshua. All of us are welcome to come into the presence of to the presence of God with a sincere heart. Now why do you think it why do you think he mentions sincere heart? Anybody? Well it's it's honesty. Okay, come before God knowing that you can't snow God. That's stupid. We all know that, okay? Sincere, uh, sincere heart in what other sense? Does it mean, um, um, truly believing that coming there really wanting to connect with God? In other words, it's not something you're just doing but you wish to connect with him, you're not done. Going through the motions. Well, there's the element of, of that you have here of double-mindedness. But to me, that still speaks to, uh, I truly want to connect with God. You know, I'm not coming saying, saying I'm coming to God, but I just want him to bless what I've already decided. So coming with an attitude that says, God, I really want to get to know you, that's on one hand. And to hear from you. And to hear from you. 
On the other hand, it comes with the attitude that says, God, I know with all the seven billion people out there, you're somehow interested in me personally. And that when I come to you, you're eager to hang out with me. And when you stop and think about how incredibly awesome that is, then, then you come fully, in, in full sincerity, you're grateful that the Master of the Universe wants you to be in His presence. So, confidence, in verse 19, we have confidence... To enter the most holy place by the blood of Yeshua. The word that's used there for confidence um, usually has the idea of boldness. It's the word that often refers to people in the book of Acts being empowered by the Spirit of God to get up and speak boldly. You know, without, you know, speaking boldly to the point. Um, so, putting those thoughts together, what the writer is saying, that because we know who God is, because we know our relationship with Him, we're eager to come and crawl on Daddy's lap. And experience the joy and the blessing of being in His presence. So we have security in His presence. And because we have security in His presence, then we're able to have security in our relationship with other people. Now think about that. That, the security in our relationship with the Lord is what grounds us, what anchors us. Everything else can, can be mishugi all around us, right? Crazy. Yes, ma'am? Why would that necessarily give a person security around others? I mean, we can count on God. We don't have the same assurance from others. So why would that... Why would one feeling secure in God automatically result in one feeling secure. I didn't necessarily say automatically. Mm. All right. Why would security in God result in our having security around people? Because our security isn't based on what others think of us, but what he thinks of us. Yeah, that's exactly it, folks. I, I've lost count of all the times that I've had people say to me, you know... Chaim, you're just the greatest. And, you know, there's a part of me that's somewhat cynical, and, and for good reason, because there have been oodles of time when after people would say, you know, you're absolutely the, the greatest, several months later they would come and say, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you do this, 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 and this? And why didn't you say this, this, and this? And you can imagine... The roller coaster that is that it takes you on. You're high up here, and then you crash, and then you're high, and then you crash again. And so, security in the Lord means that you interact with people because you're grounded in Him. 
people can do this, that, and the other, it doesn't mean that you necessarily looked at everybody and say, oh, everybody is wonderful, nobody will ever do me dirt, and so on and so forth. No, that's not the point. The point is, because you're grounded in the Lord, He anchors you, which means you're able to listen to people, interact with them, and have the discernment that you need to know if someone is on the level, if someone is peddling a bunch of baloney. And unfortunately, you live long enough, you see people peddling baloney, right? Uh, so, without the security, basic grounding in our relationship with the Lord, we can really not have significant security in our relationship with other people. So why is that so important? Well, think about gathering together um, as a body of believers and pursuing unity. If you are insecure in your relationship with the Lord, you will be insecure around your relationship with people. And think about what that does to your relationship with fellow believers in a mishpacha. You will have shallow relationships and and they'll be superficial and because you'll have the sense of I need to do what I need to do in order to protect myself. Because if I'm open and transparent, they'll take that what I share and they will do me dirt. They'll use that uh, against me. And sometimes it happens. You know, you, you share your heart with somebody and then they come and and then they want to turn it against you. That's part of the world. That's part of the brokenness of the world. However, what doesn't change is our security in the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Um, is your main point, is your point that major cause for the lack of unity among believers is because they're not secure in the Lord? That's one of them. But you wouldn't say that's the major cause? Well, yes. And no. Um, of course, that's a... Um, if someone is not secure in the Lord, they will be insecure around other people. And their responses will elicit... For example, if I start with the insecurity that people don't like me, then there's a way I will respond that maybe I will get a response that is not as good as if I started up. Am I making any sense? If I if I'm insecure, of course, of course, right. yeah. The, so you're the, saying that's the sort of way that we. It's 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 part of the process, part of the negative negative process. Think about it. If you have two people who come together uh, on a given Shabbat or a given Wednesday, whenever, and each of them is playing this defensive game of. Well, I don't know if I want to say what I really mean, and and I will uh, share only so much, and I'll keep the rest very close to the chest. Are you really going to have open-hearted connection with people, and are you going to have closeness emotionally and spiritually with that other person? Uh, uh, help me out here. I, I, I get the impression I'm speaking Yiddish or Chinese here. Is this sort of the same idea? We, we talked about it before that, that um, 
Those who maybe are deficient in extending grace or latitude to others are those that don't understand what they've been given from God, the same idea. That's so, so the less you understand what you're getting from God, i.e. your, sec- your security in God and who you are in Him, does extend out to other people in that respect. So if you're not grace, grace if you're graceless, you probably don't understand the grace that's been given to you. That, that's well put, David. That, that's part of it. Um, if you understand the grace of God and the fact that Abba Father loves you, He pours His love into you. And what does Scripture say? That His love covers a multitude of sins. Because you'll have all kinds of interaction with, with fellow believers, and sometimes you don't sleep at night, and you come grouchy, and you come to service, and your stomach is upset, and you look at each other and you say, uh, Floyd really hates my guts because he has this sour face, on, fa- sour look on his face. And, and Floyd looks at me because I have a sour look. And, and he's, he's thinking, Chaim must really be angry at me. Um, without the grace and the mercy that the Lord gives us, the love that the Lord gives us, the security that we have, we would be less inclined than to extend the grace and mercy and the Lord's love to each other. It has to flow into us. It has to, to fill us so that we are secure, so that in turn we can extend that to others. You seem puzzled, dear. No. So that's the yes part of my, of my Correct. answer? What's the no? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> All right, so um, a great deal of the letter uh, to, to, to Hebrews is devoted, on, uh, is devoted to talking about the relationship between God and people. And you see over and over and over and over and over again what people will call doctrine. You know, I hate that term sometimes. But it simply has to do with knowing how awesome and superior superior the Lord is and how we're related to Him. And then he comes back with practical uh, exhortations or instruction because this is who God is, if this is who we are in Him, then this is how you need to live. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay, I think I'm beginning to see little glimmers of hope here. <laughs> Alright, verse 24 and 25. Okay, um, where am I? Okay, let us consider, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Now, why do we need to consider? What does the notion of consider mean? Exactly. You know, none of us is given a, uh, a computer chip that tells us everything we need to do at any given time. Wouldn't you like to have that? <laughs> so we need to prayerfully and thoughtfully consider, how do I reach out to this guy or, or this gal and, and how do I interact with them in this mishpachah? How do we get 
to know each other, how do we talk, how do we share, how do we help, help one another. Uh, because for each person it's going to look differently in different, different situations. Right? Um, so consider to spur. Now some translations have a different word. I think King Jimmy has provoke. Yes. The TLD is to stir up one another to love and good deeds. To stir. Now, I, I, I don't... Uh, want to lay a bunch of Greek on you, but this one you, you have to know. Paraxusmos. Um, you may have heard the, uh, the word someone has a fit of coughing. Paroxysm. Paroxysm, yes. Paroxysmos means uh, strong discussion uh, that gets really heated. Now, in a Jewish setting, in a rabbinic setting, when people discuss the Torah and rabbinic thought, things would get really hot. In fact, people would do, No! And they would yell at one another, but, you know, it's all part of the Part of the discussion, yes. Uh, Parksusmos can get very intense. Remember when Paul and Barnabas uh, were considering um, the, the, their, their missionary journey and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark? Paul says, absolutely not. Well, why, why did uh, Paul not want John Mark? Because John Mark the one time bugged out for some reason, we don't know exactly why, uh, he dropped out, he bailed. And for someone like Paul, who was a Mack truck, that just meant the guy had disqualified himself, totally useless. And Barnabas, who was basically the soft, mushy son of comfort, he wanted to take John, uh, John Mark along. And the discussion got so intense that they had to separate uh, and the word that's used there is paroxysmos. I mean, as we know, God is able to redeem. And later on in Second uh, uh, Timothy, Paul says, Oh, by the way, don't forget to bring John Mark. He's been very, very helpful to me. So that means that the Lord was able to restore and so on and so forth. But the point is, there are times when... We are around each other and we're secure in the Lord, secure in our relationship to one another to where we have to be uh, somewhat forceful when we look at a fellow believer whom we feel is going this way and we need to say to them, no, this is, here's what the Word of God says. No, you need to go this way. Now, trust me, it better be that those kinds of times are few and far between. Um, I'm a little confused. Now, this is a noun, yes? Yes. Uh, what English word is it describing? Stir up. Stir up or provoke. provoke. Stir, provoke, yes. So... I, I'm giving... Uh, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being grammatically correct because I'm using um, 
a, a verb to convey a, yeah. a, a right. noun. Okay. Humble apologies. <laughs> what book are you in? Hebrews. Hebrews. Oh, Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews 10. Oh, I can get the 10, 24, 25 part. Okay. It's the book I didn't. All right, we're in the New Testament. And, uh, yes, I know. Okay, Thank you. I'm sorry. All right, um, so uh, to have that, folks, what has to happen? Can you provoke someone to good works by sending them a text or an email? <laughs> you might. No. You gotta be in the face. Why? Because you have to have relationship built up. You don't just go around saying, "Well, you, you need to do, you need to do that." No, you gotta have relationship. Uh, folks, I have lost count of of the number of times when I had sent an email or received one that was poorly thought out or thoroughly prayed. And as a result, the person came back and said, are you angry at me? And I said, no. And, and vice versa. Because you look at that, and it is, it is a poor medium for communicating things that are difficult. Right? Yeah. Uh, because you say something in an email or a text, and it can be taken two, three, or four different ways. So it has to be a relationship and it has to be a close relationship. You can't stand over here and do paroxysmos with somebody who is way over there. It needs to be closeness. And this is something that our culture is not very familiar and very comfortable with. Our culture, with all the... I'm going off on a soapbox here. Bear with me. <laughs> our culture is moving away from intimacy towards towards uh, distance. You know, the social media, a lot of times, uh, does not promote closeness. It promotes distance. It, it, it promotes virtual reality. I call it crowded isolationism. Crowded isolation. Okay. So, so the point is, A, um, it's something that has to be thought and prayed. You, you don't just... <laughs> You know, um, and sometimes it has to be intense. Sometimes, but look at the rest of, of the verses here. Uh, at the end of verse twenty-five, let us encourage one another, all the more that you see the day approaching. And, and I know the word that's used there for encourage. Uh, uh, I'm trying to give the, the verb here to be consistent with my uh, Trinidadian sister here. Uh, or parklesis. That can be anything from encouraging, um, exhorting, or sometimes even rebuke. It runs a whole gamut. Meaning that sometimes uh, uh, provoking or stirring somebody up is 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 a gentle word. Sometimes it needs to be more intense, even to the point where you are provoking somebody. Um, and the truth is, uh, all of us need need that because it says, "Let us encourage one another." There are days 
There are days when Rabbi David needs to be provoked. There are days I need to be provoked and vice versa. Uh, but it can only happen when there is closeness. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, what does that suggest to you about the people who are getting this letter, this epistle? They're not fellowshipping habitually. As the old. As the old. Uh, well, I would make it stronger. You think they have violent disagreement? Not necessarily. What is clear, as some of are in the habit of not being there. Yes, ma'am. Um. I think that it, it kind of connects actually what you were talking about before with the confidence coming from the Lord and then therefore giving one another confidence, building one another up, both in a stern sort of way and in a loving sort of way. Right. Right. But apparently what's happening in this, in this community is you have a bunch of people who have chosen to isolate themselves. Now, I have lost count, folks, of the number of believers I've run into who've made that decision. And it's not a, I, I will come once or twice or three times. No, I'm done. Uh, our next door neighbor at the office is a gal who's a very passionate believer, loves the Lord, knows the Lord loves her, uh, but hasn't been to a group of believers in a year. And, and so what he's saying to these folks is that is a choice that you cannot make. Why? Allow Satan to come in. Yeah. Again, remember, if you use the analogy of sheep, remember that the predator goes after the isolated sheep. Which means that the folks who are isolated and unaccountable are the people who are most likely to come up with all kinds of bizarre and crazy cockamamie ideas. Hang on. Um, in, in the years of ministry that, that I've been in, um, the folks who have done that are people who are not in any kind of accountability to anybody. God talked to me in the story. Yes, ma'am. Um, historically, this is from the book of Hebrews. So the author is talking to Messianic Jews, Nesba. Correct. Um, what would have been the situation that would cause some of them uh, to not to fellowship with others, to, to, to go into isolation? Uh, we're not really sure. Um, there's likelihood, there was a likelihood that they were experiencing persecution. Um, although what's odd is when they were experiencing persecution, then that's where they were really the strongest. Um, they were perhaps losing their confidence in who Yeshua is, and perhaps we're being drawn towards coming back to the traditional Jewish community. That's probably one of the best theories. Uh, 
That's why he has to spend so much time saying to them, look, what went on before is good stuff, but what we have in Yeshua is superior. So that's quite likely what, what was going on. You have a bunch of people who have been drawn away uh, from commitment to, to fellowship with one another and commitment to Yeshua. What can you say to people who are isolating themselves to encourage them? to come back into the fold. One basic thing, and that is, it is against God's will. Abba Father is flatly opposed to that. How do we know that? Don't forsake Well, right there. <laughs> but remember John 17. Let's turn to that. We'll finish with John 17. Let's read. Uh, we'll skip around a bit. Um, let's read verse 11, then 21 to 23. And Yvonne, if you find it, would you? Just verse 11, then verse 21, 22, 23. Those four verses. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are, they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Okay, that's one time. Then verse 21. Uh, pick up verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one, may be one as we are one. Then verse 23. It, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, so, by my counting, Yeshua mentions four times that he is praying to the Father that the disciples will be one. Why is he doing that? Well, he's wanting to see that his followers do as he's done, which is to be one with the Father. Okay. So it's, he set the example, and there has to be unity. I'm sorry, honey, forgive me. It's okay, Tanisha. Tanisha. I think that uh, he really wants to bless and honor them through that union. And that's part of 
part of God's will of, of being able to bless us. It, it, it's, it is an honor that Jesus would want us to be part of what he is with his Father. Okay. It, it, that was his intention from the beginning. To bring everybody as one. Who's, okay. All right. Um, so that we can know him, but also that the world can know him through us. Okay. So when Yeshua was praying while he was here on earth, why was he praying? What was the purpose of his praying? The disciples needed to be on the same page. So when they gave their message, it would be the same message to everyone. Correct, but... To expand the kingdom. Okay. Why do you and I pray? So he provides an example for us to follow. But simply this, folks, when Yeshua was praying, he is saying to the Father, Would you please do that? Would such and such be done. And he's having conversation with, with, with the Heavenly Father four times. He talks about that. So, why do you think he's saying that? Well, that's because it is the Father's will for the disciples to be one as Yeshua and the Father are one. So, if someone chooses to absent themselves and to be detached from fellow believers, they're going against God's express will that is in scripture. Um, uh, I could see someone saying, uh, that is talking about being one. I can be one with somebody. We think alike. We, we, we have the same values. Uh, you know, without my being in the fellowship. What word is that being used there for one? What is the Greek word? Uh, the, the Greek word for one there is one. One. It's, it's generic one. It's not... You can't milk any okay. any special ins, uh, insights from it. Um, the the point simply is, you know, I I can have these nice philosophical discussions with uh, truth and beauty and things being wonderful, and I'm at one with you, and I'm at one with with you, and I'm at one with you. Scripture is very concrete in defining what that unity looks like. It means, A, being physically in one place. B, it means being open with one another. And yes, you can obviously be uh, in unity with fellow believers worldwide, all 100 billion of them in China and so on and so forth. But we're talking about practical and concrete unity involving people being together, fellowshipping, worshipping God, praying together. And so, unity in that sense means one thing. Coming together. Do, do not neglect. And the word for neglecter is a very strong one. It has the sense of forsaking. Same word that, that is used when, when Yeshua said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same word. It has a sense of... So, um, for people who say... I love the Lord, He loves me, and I'm part of the worldwide body. You, you look at them and you say, the Word of God 
defines what your relationship with the Lord is supposed to look like. It's you and God, and you and God, and God's children. Yes, ma'am. Question. So your point here, you said the gathering place was described as a synagogue. Is your point here then that um, obviously they they were meeting together? Right. There wasn't such a thing as um, people on the you know worshiping God. I worship God, you know, but in my home, kind right. of thing. Right. So okay. And and I use the I use the term synagogue there because both with James and with Hebrews. Their gathering place was, uh, they used the Jewish term, which was synagogue. Um, so this is James chapter 2? James chapter 2, yeah, James when he speaks about when someone comes into your synagogue. Okay. Yeah, well, so they met in the synagogue. Right. That's not surprising. Right. So, so again, remember, folks, that the Word of God gives us concrete instruction for what it means to be in unity. Very concrete, and and we've been talking about physically being together and challenging one another. Uh, we'll also spend some time talking about some other practicalities next week of both positive and negative. Uh, scripture is very, very emphatic that this is the pattern that Yeshua's disciples have to follow. Anything less is out of God's will. Yes, ma'am. Don't you feel that God still allows us to pick and choose what we will tell other people? Or there are some things that we do not tell because it is not wise? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... I don't know about you, I pray for wisdom a lot. Because the Word says, if you lack wisdom, you pray, and God will give you wisdom generously, and He will not say, what's the matter with you, idiot? Uh, we are confronted with all kinds of situations where you say, okay, Lord, uh, do I open my mouth and say something? Do I pray uh, quiet? Do I wait for an, o an opportunity? Sure. Uh, however, what motivates us is the fact that we're committed to the truth. That we're committed to uh, integrity and transparency and that we depend on the Spirit of God to lead us exactly what that is supposed to look like in each and every situation. So it's never, never a situation where, let's see if I can schmooze so-and-so and tell them what they really want to hear. No. You live in integrity, and you depend on God to show you what it looks like, and when you blow it, which we all do, then you say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me, and give me the smarts not to do that again. But that's part of the process. And through that, because we are together, then we grow individually, we grow collectively, and we grow more and more to be like Yeshua. Zims, if you're awake, would you finish, sir? Father, <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for this time that you allowed us to have to be together and be in unity about your word, Father, about Yeshua, about what you intend for us to be like. You intend for us to be more and more like Yeshua every day, Father. 
That's why you sent him. Because of we've seen you show, we've seen you. So Father, we just ask and pray for the wisdom that we need to understand what you are telling us. And Father, give us the wisdom to go about the remainder of the day. Tomorrow in the name of our evening tonight, Father, in your will, so that we don't stray off the beaten path. For these things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Thank you.